0: Threat actors still have to do some research. Uh, they look online, and say, "Okay, who's, who should we attack and where <laughs> are they located?" And when we look at the dark web, we can actually see those searches. So we almost have uh, early warning, saying, "Hey, they're going to attack, you know, these hydro companies in Canada because they're <laughs> looking them up, right?" And if we see that traffic, we can report on that immediately, saving us, you know, valuable minutes, if not hours, if not weeks, um, ahead of time before they actually launch those attacks.
1: Welcome to The Flux Capacitor, a podcast about the future of electricity. I'm Francis Bradley of Electricity Canada, this is episode 075, number 75 of the Flux Capacitor. This episode was recorded on Zoom with my guest,
0: Chris Law. I'm a National Partner for Incident Management at
1: MNP. Chris joined me on the podcast for a cybersecurity deep dive. We discuss different threat actors, the regulatory landscape around privacy in cyberspace, dealing with cyber attacks, ransomware and social engineering, and how to defend against cyber attacks. We also talk about the dark web and dark web monitoring, and Chris has a topical addition to the Flux Capacitor Book Club. Here is my conversation with Chris Law, recorded on Zoom in March 2023. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Great to have you here. I thought maybe uh, for the listener, just to start off, um, a little bit about MNP and um, you know what the what the company is all about, just so the listener can can sort of place this in the in the firmament of all of the folks that are in this space.
0: Okay, so MNP is a Canadian-made um, sort of accounting firm. We are, I think, one of the largest accounting firms in Canada. Uh, as many po- folks know, there's the big four accounting firms, but uh, MP, I think, ranks right almost right in, under them. But the idea is that we've been in Canada since I think the early 1900s. Uh, we have been growing uh, ever since. Uh, our sort of focus has been the mid market and enterprise for a lot of the sort of the backbone of uh, Canadian economy and a lot of our. Um, Business has obviously evolved from tax audit assurance and Mm then we have um, more recently grown into the advisory services, which includes uh, cybersecurity
1: all right good because for a moment there I, I was worried that suddenly we were going to talk about accounting <laughs> no, so let's no. let's talk about cybersecurity, which is what we've kind of queued up today so uh, maybe start off with uh, the kind of the risk profile because you know when most people think about cybersecurity, they're they're thinking about these threats that are coming from outside the organization but but that's changing isn't it it's it's a bit of a different environment these days it
0: is um in in You're quite right, Francis. There's obviously the ongoing attacks that you hear of in the news. I mean, those high-profile attacks against critical infrastructure, energy, utilities, you you name it, and that's consistently growing, um, unfortunately. Um, but uh, the, also, because of our economy and because of what's going on in the world, we're seeing a lot more attacks from unsophisticated uh, threat actors. We'll mm-hmm. call them threat actors or hackers, if, for those of you who um, need to sort of get the context of who these are. They're not typically uh, what you see in the movies. Uh, mm-hmm. You see, uh, you know, it's not always Mission Impossible, where Tom Cruise comes flying in off a cable. then <laughs> Theater, but it's it's teenagers, it's folks like even you and me, especially mm-hmm. during the time of COVID. Uh, there are people that are remote, uh, they have their day jobs, but they also have time to you know learn off the internet how to compromise or hack uh, systems for potential interest, for curiosity, and of course profit. And so what we're seeing is a whole new, well not new, but a whole uh, growth of those unsophisticated threat actors, not only the threat actor groups from, you know, North Korea or Russia, but also just normal everyday folks that uh, have some time on their hands. And then, of course, with that, there are so many systems in place that allow them to benefit and profit from uh, what they're doing, unfortunately.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, one of the other topics that uh, has has been gaining prominence as well is is insider threats too. So that that seems to be growing as well. Uh, Is that the experience that you're seeing?
0: We are definitely Uh, with all the changes. um, Again, with COVID and the hybrid model that we're sort of evolving back into, uh, many companies do not have all the oversight that they would like to have, perhaps on their employees. Mm -hmm. So gives them uh, an ample opportunity, the employees, uh, to unfortunately perhaps uh, take, steal intellectual property um, at the same time, uh, sell that intellectual property to competing firms or even computing uh, nations. So that does happen. Um, And also the whole fact that with um, the ease of uh, the abundance of sources where they can learn uh, to do these types of attacks, um, they can definitely practice uh, within unfortunately their own organizations and then of course again mm. go on a number of sites on the dark web to sell or uh, for consignment this type of uh, sensitive data unfortunately from their organizations they work for for sure
1: yeah i i always get concerned when people talk about the the kinds of services that one can one can purchase on the dark web so it sounds as though we're not uh necessarily talking about people acquiring skills they can sometimes just contract these skills
0: exactly exactly there's uh there's basically uh, these services you can actually uh hire you basically hackers for hire it's uh hmm. as a service literally if you want to conduct uh corporate espionage or if you want to gain an advantage over your competition you can simply go on the dark web and request that uh for any type of cryptocurrency or some actual amount of money you could actually request the services of a group of hackers to get that sensitive information and it's it's uh it's a growing business unfortunately
1: wow all right so we're seeing a growth of uh, i guess state-sponsored we're we're seeing a growth of those unsophisticated players Uh, there's increasing concern about insider threats there's increasing tools that are available on on the web um uh should we be concerned about all uh, aspects of the the business so um, you know if we're talking about the the electricity business specifically uh, should we just be worried about our IT systems should be we worried we'd be worried about OT as well is that a is that a evolving because um, I mean we used to talk about oh it's all air gapped and you don't have to worry about the the OT systems but I increasingly hear about the IT and OT systems that are are increasingly being merged together. And yes, I
0: agree with you, Francis. I think there is a huge concern uh, for the OT systems. Um, I believe that conventionally, for you know, for many years now, we've had um, a chance to obviously strengthen or enhance the, our security posture for corporate systems. Uh, that's the typical IT that you think of. You know the yeah. the the building systems. However, with OT systems, uh, with the work that we do with a number of natural resource, uh, electrical as well as critical infrastructure organizations within Canada, we see that uh, conventional belief that, oh, you know, it is gear gap, we don't have to worry about it. Hmm. Unfortunately, that kind of thinking has gone by the wayside due to the number of recent attacks, of course, in the United States. And of course, uh, we have dealt with ones in Canada. Uh, with that belief that these systems, they're designed to run and Mm -hmm. run forever. Uh, However, uh, they were not designed with security uh, mechanisms in place as perhaps the more recent systems on the corporate side. So with that, there is still that very um, uh, uh, opportunity to actually access those systems with ease. Uh, It's not just physical access, but it's also given the the push for efficiency, given the push to monitor these systems, Mm -hmm. we quite often don't want to touch the systems themselves. We then want to just put on whatever kind of sensors or this kind of overlay from corporate to these systems to get reports. And unfortunately, if not done correctly, it gives uh, the threat actor a huge attack vector to attack these unfortunately, um, shall we say, uh, very open, very reliable, but very open and very basic uh, systems, and unfortunately, with that, can obviously cause disruption.
1: Right. You mentioned the 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 term attack and attack surface. Mm-hmm. That's changing, right? I mean, as 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 uh, we're, we see increasing uh, digitization of our systems. Doesn't that mean that the attack surface that the threat actors are are targeting is growing and growing and this is growing? It sounds like it might be growing exponentially in the future.
0: Yes, it is. Uh, I would say it is growing exponentially. We are um, we are seeing a pivot or a shift over from the attacking of corporate systems, and it's by and part and for a number of reasons. One of them is is with the fact that okay, traditionally, in the last few years, you've heard of the number of ransomware attacks uh, go on, and that's yep. normal. Unfortunately, yep. they attack corporate systems, they get access to personal information of individuals or folks, and then they hold that um, data or the, they, threat, they threaten the release of that data unless the organization pays. And so mm-hmm. that's going on for years. Unfortunately, with that, the insurance companies have had to obviously help uh, pay for the, some of that ransomware because uh, they were, they you know, these organizations did have uh, cyber insurance. Um, but what has happened in the last year or two is because of the billions uh, that they uh, have lost through these ransomware payments, uh, I would say that the insurance carriers have cut back on payments. Ah. With that, there's desperation. And Mm -hmm. desperation, uh, there's a number of things that will happen. And how it relates directly to the energy and electricity sector is that they know uh, the threat actors, they know that these um, OT systems are relatively insecure by Mm -hmm. nature. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they simply have to, uh, compromise or get past the perimeter defenses that are sort of, as I mentioned, just overlaid. um, in, you know, as best they can, mm-hmm. but know that regardless whether the electricity company, um, has uh, cyber insurance or not, they need to get their systems up. People yeah. are dependent yeah. on the, the criticality of this. Um, so they will, uh, basically hold for ransom they don't have to worry about whether or not the insurers will pay or not they know that uh, the company or they'll be or the government will regulate them to at least get their systems back online by any means possible not saying Mm -hmm. that will encourage you know ransomware payments automatically but Mm -hmm. it added pressure right
1: yeah yeah hey um one of the other things that uh, i thought we we could uh, touch on is about privacy Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and there's i know there's there's uh all changes taking place sort of in the regulatory landscape around privacy mm-hmm. can you give us the, the you know your perspectives on on privacy issues with respect to, to cyber
0: yeah for sure and i think uh with all the new privacy regulations and i'm not the expert on the uh privacy but working with a number of my partners uh there has been a growing number of regulations that have been you know has have a very positive effect Mm -hmm. on uh, safeguarding information, obviously evolving from GDPR from Europe.
1: uh, Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: uh, Where and of course, there's a number of, I believe, uh, uh, bills that have been passed in California to protect uh, the personal information and more importantly, I believe the declaration the requirement for companies to declare when they unfortunately have been compromised, that they must release what information has been released on their client information, PII, oh, yeah. personal identifiable information, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So, with that, I think there is um, a definite uh, there is definite progress in the privacy space. How best to make sure that these organizations are are enforcing that, or and making sure that they, um, rather than just slap them with the usual fines, how do they how do we make it better? Right, mm-hmm. meaning, yeah, okay, well, the information now is out there. Not everyone can immediately change uh, their SID numbers overnight. And it's going to cause, you know, in Canada, it will cause a huge headache with the, you know, the CRA yeah. and what. But um, these yeah. sort of things are what we have to combat with. And so, um, I'm. It's it's nice to see that progress. Uh, it's nice to see that uh, organizations will have um, the requirement to safeguard their uh, clients' data first and foremost. Um, but the question now is, is how. How do we uh, combat the situation where, uh, unfortunately, not all organizations have all the time, space, money, funding to do what is supposed to be done right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then move on to you know w- what do we do with that information that's now posted on the dark web? How can we stop that because it's now out there? Uh, you can't just uh, I mean, other than I said you know change sin numbers, restart your life. Uh, the identity theft is uh, is obviously something that's always going to linger with a number of us, and, and given some of the experience that we've dealt with, um, it is a, a long, arduous process, you know, taking months, if not years, to recover from that.
1: Right? Wow. Okay. Hey, um, one of the things that I ask folks that come on the the podcast about their is about their journey. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your personal journey to, to the role that you currently have now at MP? this, this is, I, I don't, I don't recall seeing, you know, a, a program at, 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 in college or university that leads specifically to, to the role, the kind of role that you're, you're doing right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, truth be told, I mean, my parents always wanted me to be a lawyer. So I was, uh, here <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, uh thank god for my mother who uh said you know maybe you should take a science uh, elective or two in university so, <laughs> um so i my journey was simply that i took uh where where i'm based i'm based in vancouver so i went to ubc and the cool thing back in the uh, 90s uh, and i'm aging myself there but uh, the cool thing back in the 90s was uh, engineering and i decided to take something different which was this new kind of thing called computer science mm-hmm. not exactly new but um uh, rather than being an engineer, I uh, went to uh, computer science and then uh, did uh, my undergrad there. Uh, did not do well enough to make it into law school, so I continued with computer science. Uh, worked uh, on a number of Microsoft projects, uh, MS Mail, and a few others, and then proceeded from there to work for the university as well as uh, uh, what we call uh, BCNet, which is uh, an organization where basically connects uh, the universities together. Mm. And then there did a number of dot coms, and then uh, worked for a company called 360 networks, which you may recall is a uh, large telecom provider that uh, had its own history. Mm -hmm. Um, And then of course, started what uh, my own company, which was uh, a company that focused on network security Mm. Uh, for a number of years there grew that company and then uh, Uh, Thankfully, uh, not truly a full businessman, so I decided to, uh, with my founders and myself, we sold to Deloitte. So, sold our company to Deloitte, and then I got started uh, again back in the cybersecurity space uh, for incident response uh, for Deloitte for a number of years, and then (laughs) I uh, pivoted over to M&P now. (laughs) same. Gotcha there's my journey
1: so 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 your your focus these days is, is on specifically on incident response
0: exactly so with uh, a number of cases uh, some of the largest cases in Canada right now uh I have a strong team with myself to help uh help our clients basically deal uh, with incidents from start to finish that includes um obviously speaking with the organizations uh deploying our people to gather evidence uh, dealing with the threat actors negotiating the ransom even shutting down sites uh, and handling communications with legal counsel yeah. uh, obviously uh giving postmortem reports to board members of the organization and then of helping the executives you know m- map out the future roadmap to help increase their security posture enhance uh, obviously enhance their budget to <laughs> be able- but at the same time, reduce the risk uh, for happening again. And then in real time, uh, obviously working on a number of uh, interesting uh, initiatives, such as how to protect critical infrastructure systems, specifically from the dark web. So <laughs> we, we're using a number of unique systems that we are um, promoting uh, to the government of Canada, as well as a number of other organization and regulatory bodies for you know, energy utility and, um, electrical companies uh, to defend themselves from source. When, what I mean by that is uh, we are able almost now to actually see the attacks uh, as they happen and before it happens. And so we're really excited about that kind of platform that we're continuing to develop and help, help protect our critical infrastructure uh, companies in Canada.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I want to maybe drill down a little bit on on you know how to manage risks. Um, mm-hmm. But but it but but before that, um, how how much of your time these days, um, and and you know kind of how much how many of the incidents that that you you've been um, working on are um, straight up ransomware? It sounds like ransomware has become a, a huge issue.
0: Yep, it is. It is huge, and I I would say 80 to 90 percent of our time is spent with uh, dealing with incidents with uh, ransomware. Now, uh, there is a growing pivot now. I mean, we're still very very busy. However, what we're doing is uh, you know as we get more and more ransomware requests, we're also getting a huge number of uh, just uh, conventional fraud Mm -hmm. where not so much uh, ransomware through payment through Bitcoin to some overseas threat group. It's unfortunately uh, social engineering where uh, someone tricks the organization into changing bank account information. Oh yes. the organizations, they pay their 30K or 50K a a month bill for whatever reason, whether it's for food services, for supplies, uh, anything like that. That's paid to, um, you know, let's say the Royal Bank. But unfortunately, someone called in and said, "Well, we changed banks. We changed to this, you know, CIBC or what have you." Yeah. and then before you know it, three months later, the the, the genuine supplier says, "Hey, you haven't paid us." Mm-hmm. And the organization "Yes, we did, but you changed your bank." Was no, we didn't. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. they're out uh, three months of invoices, which is not, you know, it's not, you know, company-ending, but it is obviously a growing concern and when it happens more and more now it, it definitely does still hits the bottom line
1: right yeah right okay so let, let's talk about managing risks and uh and what are some of the things that that uh, that companies um should be thinking about uh about doing to 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 manage well the, the last you know 15 or 20 minutes where we've talked about this yeah. <laughs> threat environment that's becoming more and more difficult and more and more challenging um, mm-hmm. so what do we do what do we do to manage those risks?
0: yeah I think the first thing and I, you know Francis I get asked this a lot and you know we all understand that no one I mean everyone has their business they their, that their business is to do XYZ or create yep. this or provide this service. now because of uh, technology, every single organization must use technology to you know achieve efficiencies and do all this stuff. Um, what we're saying is well, Take a step back and look at what, uh, and everyone, you know, I'm sure everyone's heard the term crown jewels. What is the one thing within an organization that will stop them from, you know, being able to carry on business the next day? Mm-hmm. Now, is it the release of HR data? Well, it's embarrassing, but it's not earth, you know, it's not you know company ending. Right. Is it the, the secret plans for the formula that you know is being developed and you know shipped and sold every day? Maybe or maybe it's something else. Maybe it's our client data, right? Mm-hmm. If our client data gets exposed, no one will trust us anymore. And we might as well just pack up, and, you know, go home. Mm-hmm. And so the company or organization has to sit down from each of the levels and understand what those crown jewels are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and once you know that, then you can manage the risk saying, okay, we will dump as much money or as our priority or, all our resources into this and then you know whittle down the priorities versus you know yes we understand that we don't have our hr data covered but you know what our crown jewels are this if this mm-hmm. goes or if this gets compromised then you know we're in much more of a dire situation so once they go through that exercise then the the following happens and the next steps are simply to apply the various you know cybersecurity fundamentals i call them table stakes and these are the same kind of controls or, you know, you must do or else, you know, what have you been doing, right? And so mm-hmm. the same with regulators as well as insurance companies. And The first one is, of course, uh, cyber awareness training. It's easy mm-hmm. to do, right? Make sure all your staff, all your organizations, including all your um, seasonal staff or contract workers, uh, they understand what and how to spot, you know, these kind of um, attacks, meaning that email that looks suspicious and you click on something, you know, those kind of things. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, that is the easiest and cheapest, most cost effective way for an organization to defend themselves, whether it's an electrical company or, you know. Uh, uh, farm or whatever. It's the idea where, you know, making sure that you and your employees are aware of, you know, these types of attacks that exist every day. Number two is, you know, everyone has passwords, you know, for the longest time, people said, you know, it's just make sure you have a strong complex mm-hmm. password. Well, if you make it too strong, everyone will write it down. So, <laughs> everyone has, uh, have that multi-factor authentication. It's, it's it's onerous, and you know you always have to use your cell phone or some other means. But multi-factor authentication is a must. It's table stakes, and with that combined with your password, you could have a weak password and a multi-factor uh, another device to authenticate who you are, either biometrics or whatever, or even
1: mm-hmm.
0: facial ID like through your iPhone or whatever. That is more effective uh, than a, just one complex password, right? Mm-hmm. So. Um, and then the third, and obviously the most boring, is uh, off, offline backups. I always say that. And it's, uh, you know, everyone does backups. Uh, hopefully, everyone does backups. And hopefully, everyone tests the backups. Um, but with a number of, uh, incidents that I've been involved in. Uh, there's been companies that you know have the most complex, most feature-rich backup system, and they say, "Hey, Chris, we can do all these backups and copies and restores from this laptop with to that system within seconds." Well, that's great. Imagine if a threat actor got access to those backups that mm. are online; they can delete them, encrypt them, erase them. And so, again. The important thing is performing backups. The most important thing is making sure that they are air gap. They are taken offline. I mean, back in the day when there were still tape backups, I'm sure there's hopefully still tape backups. Maybe there isn't, but <laughs> you know, I mean, the idea is that that was a good thing because at least yeah. it's uh, unless something happens to Iron Mountain or whatever else. Uh, you know, the idea is that it's you know it's safe and secure. So look for immutable backup systems or something that is you know is taken offline that uh, can't be changed and that is I would say number three and all the rest uh, of these kind of controls you know are nice to have and so of course would definitely help during an incident but those three things are what you know many of the organizations regulatory agencies privacy commissioners uh, insurance companies uh, look for as table sticks if you didn't have that well you're kind of you know the onus is on you to ex- explain why and then mm-hmm. in court of public opinion that is something that most organizations if not all are judged on it's like well they had all these see all these three things done yet they still got attacked okay you know at least they had the fundamentals they weren't right. exactly sleeping on the job right
1: yeah gotcha yeah now all of this of course is taking place uh, at the same time as as changes uh, within the industry and changes in society more broadly are, are occurring. I'm thinking, uh, you know, things like, I guess it's being termed the Great Resignation. We've got, uh, you know, baby boomers who are retiring. Uh, there's some pretty significant shifts taking place in in, in the workplace. Is that uh, having an impact? Or, and do you expect it, it to have uh, uh, more of an impact as... I guess the workplace itself sees some disruption because of, uh, because of the changing workplace.
0: Yeah, I do. And I think it's, um, you know, with the systems, uh, you know, stemming from COVID and, you know, this remote workplace, there is going to be, uh, you know, folks that are used to, uh, let's say coming into the office and uh, being there and working from systems in the office and, and, you know, you know, call it old school folks that are used to mm-hmm. what you do, right? And then COVID might have just been a you know interruption, and now everyone should be back in the office. Mm-hmm. However, with uh, a number of the tech companies that we've seen, uh, you know, that kind of workforce is changing. You can't attract people that may have to, for especially in Canada and myself living in Vancouver, uh, it's hard to have your team, you know, want to you know, create a, you know earn a good salary at the same time afford you know a level of living and mm-hmm. have will safe prices and all these things they are unfortunately some of the ones that are starting out are forced to live far far away from the corporate office right right yeah. so there will have to be that allowance or flexibility I believe for companies to accommodate for that or they will not have that workforce you can't expect everyone to be living in you know the you know GRD or GTA uh, and come into work and have that camaraderie and the social aspects and the benefits from that um will there be you know i'm sure given covid with all the technology and all these zoom calls there's only so many zoom calls that you can take mm-hmm. before you like to go and sit down in the lunchroom you know you know discuss things in, in person right so um it is gonna i i do see um you know the shift where if I I don't know what that, you know, the magic bullet is really. Um, It's more the fact that uh, as technology keeps on growing with all these uh, new things uh, like chat, GBT, and all these, it's easier to anonymize yourself at the same Mm -hmm. time, do things and get things done. But at the same time, it's also difficult for the companies to understand, you know, who did what in the workforce right now. And Mm -hmm. what I mean by that is, you know, everyone, can basically create things in the cloud really quickly, and uh, what we're also seeing is because of that, um, how much is this, you know, your work, or you know, we can claim as our work and your work, and, and and then what what will stem from that is the idea where okay, I am now more valuable, I can now do everything quickly, and I can migrate to another company that perhaps gives me more benefits, higher pay, mm. and they call my work with me in a matter of minutes instead of, you know, the usual thing where, you know, you have a whole team and drawings and, you know, pack all this up, you know, there's a big shift. I think people will be much more, we have to unfortunately keep tabs on exactly where our data is, where our sense of data is, or before you know it, within seconds, almost, we have seen cases where, uh, one person can literally take uh, the IP of the company that's for the last 10 years over to a new company. and been sharing that for some time. And unfortunately, that is the case with our over our requirement, as well as our, you know, reliance on our, you know, the latest, greatest technology to help the company overall, you know, succeed and be profitable. Mm
1: -hmm. How how, um, big a problem is complacency? Uh, You know, companies who've who've never experienced the problem may not have their guard up in, in a manner that they should. Is, is that something that you see?
0: Yes, yes. And that's a very good question, Francis. And I think um, many of the CEOs and the executive and the board, um, after I give the postmortem, after an incident, um, huh. help them through. <laughs> I mean, the first thing is they say, well, Chris, I hope we never, ever see you again. Uh, the second is, <laughs> you know, there's always that I could have, would have, you know, we should have did this, we could have done that. Yes. And I think, you know, the unfortunate uh, organizations have gone through their, their first incident. Um, it was an emotional, the most emotional thing that they've gone through, um, but they're much stronger for it. And so because of uh, the complacency aspect, uh, there's, we're running into fewer and fewer organizations where they say, oh, we don't have to worry about that or we'll deal with that when we have an incident. Uh, they've heard enough from their colleagues, from you know com- other organizations, uh, similar organizations in their verticals, to you know say, you know we must be proactive now. Uh, we can't afford to uh, be complacent or you know leave this to the next thing or uh, worry about down the road. Um, I am also seeing a lot more uh, board as well as executive interactions where their number one discussion point is cybersecurity. Right. Uh, and it's, they're asking for more and more board members to have that cybersecurity background, which is great, right? So it educates the board so that they can obviously influence and support the organization uh, during the time of crisis, for sure. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Now, listen, at, at the, the start of our conversation, we, um, we, we talked a little bit about uh, the dark web and, and the kinds of tools and services that are available on the dark web. Um, I think for most people, uh, myself included, the dark web is a bit of a black box. Mm-hmm. How do you, how does somebody who, um, you know, that has no familiarity with this, how do you go about um, uh, understanding um, what is, what is, what is the sort of the threat posed? And, you know, is there some way that, that, I mean, I, I wouldn't want to even attempt to try and figure out what's taking place in the dark web, but presumably that's something that, that you and colleagues spend time um, navigating?
0: Yes, yes. And I think that's. I think that's the one of the major ways we can help, uh, you know, defend ourselves and defend um, companies and organizations against threats. Uh, The dark web is basically, uh, you know, everyone asks what's the dark web in the simplest terms uh, without getting too technical. I mean, it is the Internet, but it is a different type of Internet. It uses the same technology uh, with the exception of the protocols. And the difference is that uh, you know, other than the search engines and things like that, the protocols are designed to help uh, people communicate anonymously as well as exchange data anonymously. Whereas the internet is quite open and, you know, there's enough built-in systems to help trace who's done what. And so you'll rarely um, see, you know, hackers go home on their Bell, Rogers, Shaw, TELUS Connection and start attacking an organization. They'll be quickly shut mm-hmm. down and traced because you know, there's been years of uh, equipment and solutions to help prevent this. However, uh, the dark web is built on the same technology, meaning it's it still is information uh, attached to servers, attached to co-location locations around the world, just like an ISP, just like an internet ISP. And, with that, the idea is that threat actors use it because they uh, feel that they are. It is designed to be more anonymous, and as mm-hmm. well as eighty um, percent, or at least I think uh, last count, eighty percent of all, you know, cyber attacks have emanated from the dark web, meaning a node or a point on. Okay. Gotcha. And so a threat actor would simply go home, jump on uh, their internet, their you know, the regular internet, and then jump from there over to a dark web node, and then launch attacks from there. Hmm. So what we're excited about is that we, uh, you know, over the last few years, we have developed technology to help give us visibility to those those actions the, that uh, those actions of the threat actors. Hmm. Now, everybody you know, there's a lot of competing, uh, competing organizations or competing solutions that say they monitor the dark web. There's different ways of monitoring the dark, web. people can create accounts and then look there and then report on that slow method, you know, tedious, and not very timely. We believe that we've also been able to find an alternative way to monitor in real time, those actions. And with that, we are you know we've been uh, promoting this uh, through the various law enforcement government agencies, CSIS and whatnot, on helping critical infrastructure um, see attacks as they happen. At the same time, see attacks as they as the threat actors from you know overseas are are shall we say practicing, meaning mm-hmm. uh, experimenting with their latest and greatest malware uh, before they attack. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Threat actors still have to do some research. Uh, they look online, and say, "Okay, who's who should we attack and where <laughs> are they located?" And when we look at the dark web, we can actually see those searches. So we almost have uh, early warning, saying, "Hey, they're going to attack, you know, these hydro companies in Canada because they're <laughs> looking them up, right?" And if we see that traffic, we can report on that immediately, saving us, you know, valuable minutes, if not hours, if not weeks, um, ahead of time before they actually launch those attacks.
1: Wow okay so active active dark web monitoring
0: mm-hmm. exactly right
1: yeah Chris one of the things that I ask everybody who comes on the podcast is for a book recommendation oh, yes okay. and so uh, I've assembled a little something I call the flux capacitor book club and it's all of the the books that are recommended by uh, people who've been on the uh, on the podcast so here we are episode 75 of the podcast um is there a book that you would recommend to the listener
0: uh yeah i mean i've i've picked up a, a book recently it came out earlier this year um and it's it's named it's aptly named the hacker's mind uh, by bruce schneier now um it's you know obviously being in the industry of what we do it's is yet another hacking cyber you know cyber security book uh-huh. but at the same time it's it's, it's I, I mean, I haven't finished reading it completely yet, but it's more the fact that it helps the, shall we say, the regular individuals say, okay, you know, there's hacking that goes on in cyberspace, and but there's also hacking that's going on in everyday society. And so it's more about how the powerful, you know, basically um, use hacks to get what they want, right? And so mm. I find it's something a little bit um, that we all should be aware of that... This type of, um, you know, approach or, shall we say, hacking, uh, is, occurs everywhere. Not just in computers and cyberspace; it occurs in society, and so that in, helps us, you know, understand, you know, what people would be up to. And I think, you know, so far it's been an interesting read, but uh, the jury's still up right now. So.
1: All right. I I actually I just opened it up on. On, yeah. uh, on my other screen here. So it's by Bruce Schneier, and yep. it's called A Hacker's Mind, How the Powerful Bend Society's Rules and How to Bend Them Back. Mm-hmm. What a great title.
0: Yeah, yeah. he's written a number of, uh, you know, more crypto-focused books, of course, and hacking books, but uh, this is a little bit uh, different. So it's I thought it'd be interesting to start on that and about halfway through it.
1: All right. Well, it, it's uh, certainly right on... Uh, right on uh, on on topic. Given what we've been talking about today, terrific. Listen, we'll we'll add that to our uh, to our uh, to our book club list. And, and uh, with that, Chris, I want to thank you for taking the time to to join the podcast. I really appreciated having the chat with you today.
0: No, oh, thank you,
1: Francis, for having me. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Flux Capacitor. Tune in for future episodes, please take the time to rate the podcast on whatever platform you use to listen, and let me know what you think of The Flux Capacitor. You can find me on Twitter as Brad Bradley. The website is thefluxcapacitor.ca, and it includes links for this episode on the show page, this being episode 75. And while you're there, check out the book club page, which provides info on and links to the books which have been recommended by guests on the Flux Capacitor, including A Hacker's Mind, How the Powerful bend Society's Rules, and How to Bend Them Back, by Bruce Schneier, Chris Law's recommendation. And let's continue the electricity conversation on our Facebook page, on Twitter, and at electricity.ca.